This is TC Palmcast, top Treasure Coast headlines and more from TC Palm, part of the USA Today Network. Good morning and welcome to TC Palmcast. It's Wednesday, March 27th, and I have environmental reporter Tyler Treadway joining me today. Hi, Tyler. Hey, Hannah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm okay. That's good. So you had a lot of headlines recently on TC Palm, uh, all talking about the lagoon, but with different subject matters, talking about how safe or unsafe the water is, fish, the air that we breathe, all that stuff. And there's been, I've noticed a little bit of confusion maybe on our social media accounts of people reacting to those stories. So I want to bring you in so we can actually talk about what is really going on with our waterways. I'll give it a shot. I appreciate that. (laughs) So I want to start with a story that you had at the end of last week where the Army Corps of Engineers announced that they were going to extend the discharges that they started back in February. That's right. Okay, so they started the discharges back on February the 23rd. And since then, we've gotten about 9 billion gallons of lake water into the St. Lucie River estuary. What they said last week was that they're going to continue those discharges for another two weeks, but at a lower level, at about 161.6 million gallons a day. And that's a lower level. (laughs) That's a lower level. It sounds like a lot of water. But remember back last year when we were getting really heavy discharges, it was over a billion gallons a day. So the the question is, is this too much mm-hmm. for the uh, for the estuary to handle? And so far, the estuary seems to be doing pretty well. Uh, salinities are lower than we would like them to be, but not so low that they're a danger. Right now, it's an important time too because it's oyster spawning season. We want to get as many uh, little oyster babies out there as, as we can in the in the uh, estuary. So that's one of the reasons that the Corps cited for lowering the discharge rate. Okay. Now, what we also want to do, what the Corps this year is very intent on doing, is lowering the lake level more than normal. Now, usually, they try to get the lake down to about 12 and a half feet by the end of the dry season, which is, say, late May, early June. The lake's already barely over 12 feet, so it's lower than they would normally have it this year. But every few years, it's a good idea for the lake to get lower than normal because it helps with the submerged vegetation, the the grass and the other plants that live under the water. If you let the lake lower than it normally would be, somehow, I don't understand all the science, (laughs) you know, I'm supposed to, but I I guess I don't. But uh, that helps those um, plants. It gets rid of non-native plants, that kind of thing. They actually burn parts of the marshes that dry out to get rid of non-invasive plants. So every few years, every five, six years, it's a good thing for this to happen. It also happens to be coming at a time when a lot of environmentalists and our Congressman Brian Mast have been calling for the lake to be lowered to like 10 and a half feet Mm -hmm. every dry season. The Corps is not committing to that. They're not committing to saying we're going to get it down to a specific level to 10 and a half, 11 and a half feet, whatever. They're just, they say they're going to let it get as low as they can without causing damage to the estuaries. Um, and it should be noted also that they've cut down a little bit of the, of the flow west to the Caloosahatchee River down to about the amount that they need because they do need water going to the Caloosahatchee estuary to keep out saltwater intrusion. Okay. So you haven't been hearing any reports of any like algae blooms or any dead fish floating around from these discharges? No, haven't heard anything about that. If anyone knows of any, give me a call, shoot me an email, let me know. 
but so far everything seems to be okay. Okay. So is this something where they're going to then review it again in two weeks, or do you know if they're actually going to shut it down completely in two weeks or just reduce the discharges even more in two weeks? Typically, they reevaluate every week or two weeks. This time they're saying it would be two weeks. So they may stop them. They may increase them. They could cut them. We just, we just don't know. It's just going to depend, according to the core, on how low they can get the lake without doing any kind of environmental damage. Okay. And then you do have that lovely infographic that you update every day on TC Palm where you update how many billions of gallons we've gotten since February, since the discharges started. Yep. And you update what the current lake level is so people can kind of keep an eye on that to see what's actually been happening to our waterways. Yeah, we have a, a line graph showing how the discharges go up, come back down, go back up, come back down over the course of the discharge event. And then also keep track of how the elevation of the lake compared to its average and also compared to where the core typically wants it to be. Okay, so we'll wait for more updates from you in about two weeks when we figure out what the Army Corps of Engineers is going to do next. Be glad to let you know. Okay, so then two other stories I want to talk to you about you published at the end of last week that did get some confusion, some negative comments on our Facebook page, and they had to do with studies about dangers, toxicity levels in our waterways. The first one was published by ORCA, which is the Ocean Research and Conservation Association, and they're in Fort Pierce, yep. and they did a study last year on toxins in fish in the St. Lucie River and the Indian River Lagoon, so they published their results last week. Yeah, they let us know some preliminary results that they had. Here's what they did. They they caught and they asked fishermen to donate fish that, that were caught, uh, in the like you said, in the river and in the lagoon last summer. And they got 51 fish. And they looked first at the fillets, at the meat of the fish, looking for microcystin, which is one of the toxins that blue-green algae produces. And then they also looked in the livers of the fish because microcystin tends to accumulate in livers. So they did find microcystin in more than half the fish that they caught, but they found it in relatively low levels, low enough that like if you ate an eight ounce filet of fish, you'd have about two thirds of what the World Health Organization calls the tolerable daily intake. Mm -hmm. So basically what they end up saying is it's safe to eat fish that you catch uh, in the St. Lucie River and in the Indian River Lagoon occasionally. Mm -hmm. Don't make a big habit of it because this stuff does bioaccumulate. But every once in a while, it's, it's okay to eat some of these fish. Now, they were looking for microcystin. There's other bacteria and other toxins in the water that can accumulate in fish. One is like BMAA. Mm -hmm. which don't ask me to tell you what that stands for because <laughs> I, I can never remember. I don't know who can. But this is another toxin that people think, scientists think, may be linked to uh, neurological disease like mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, Parkinson's. So to say that the fish doesn't have a dangerous level of microcystin doesn't necessarily mean that fish is all that safe to eat. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are people who do eat fish or subsistence fishers who depend on fish out of the river, out of the lagoon, out of the C-44 canal which connects the lake and the river. And they looked at some of these fish too. And they also had, you know, not too high a level of, of microcystin. But if you want to ask me, I'm, I'm not going to eat fish out of the St. Lucie River. I might eat a fish 
caught in certain parts of the lagoon that I, I think are safer, but that's a personal choice. Okay. So one of the things I wanted to really clarify with listeners, because when we put this story on our Facebook page a couple of times in the last weekend over the weekend, is the report is saying that it is safe to occasionally eat these fish. And people were getting outraged saying, I'm never touching anything that comes out of the lagoon or out of the river. And who funded this report? And, you know, crying fake news, all those types of things. And so I really wanted to get the point across that microsystem blue green algae is actually always in our river. We just get alarmed when it gets to toxic levels. So this study showing basically that these fish did not have toxic levels. Right. Well, they didn't have dangerous levels. Mm-hmm. They had toxins in them. They had this microcystin, which is a toxin, yes. but it's not at dangerous levels. To eat it, like we said, occasionally and not too much of it. I mean, an eight-ounce fillet, that's, that's a pretty good chunk of fish. Mm-hmm. you know. And so the idea is not to be alarmist, but also to, to know that there is that stuff out there. It's just you don't want to just go crazy about it either either way mm-hmm. to eat too much or just to say, oh, the water's horrible and no one's like, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to eat fish out of the St. Lucie River, but that's just me. Yeah. So similarly, you had another story at the end of last week talking about the same toxin that's found in blue green algae blooms that's actually being found in the air. So this was a study that was done by Yale and Florida Gulf Coast Universities, and they've been looking at our air quality, right? Right. Specifically over on the West Coast, but it pretty much applies over here, too. Um, You know, this last summer and fall, uh, the West Coast really got hit hard by the microcystin, uh, blue-green algae blooms, and the red tide. So what these scientists did was study how much of this microcystin gets into the air. We know it's airborne. There was a study at Harbor Branch not too long ago. They swabbed nasal passages of all these people who live and work along the St. Lucie River, and they found microcystin in the nasal passages of all these people. Well, the first 70 that they tested, that's when the story came out. So we know it's in the air. So what these guys were trying to figure out is how much of it's in the air and where is it in the air. They looked at a couple of places. One was at a house which is on a canal that had a very active, nasty blue-green algae bloom. And then they went to another site 30 miles away, still on water that has blue-green algae in it, not a bloom, but has blue-green algae in it because, like you said, it's in the water all the time. Mm -hmm. And they found actually pretty similar levels of microcystin in the air at these two sites. Then, okay, this was in like fall when the algae blooms were kind of starting to go away. Then they looked again in the winter between December and January at a site a mile away from any water, a mile away from any place that could have blue-green algae in it, and they still found lower levels of microcystin in the air. So their conclusion is that it's in the air, and it's in the air pretty much all the time at differing levels according to how close you are to the blooms or how close you are to water that has blue-green algae in it. And the thing is, blue-green algae cyanobacteria has been around for billions of years. We wouldn't be here if there wasn't for cyanobacteria because it helped create the oxygen atmosphere that we depend on. Mm -hmm. So it's always been around. And what they're saying is that humans have become not immune to it, but have developed a resistance to low levels of microcystin in the air. It's only when the microcystin uh, levels increase dramatically 
that we start having problems with it. It can cause respiratory problems. We all knew that from back in 2016. We had a lot of people mm -hmm. that had respiratory problems because of the, the blue-green algae. So what they're saying is we need to know more about how long you need to be breathing this stuff in and at what amounts for it to cause real problems. Okay. So is this one of those stories where make people aware of what's going on or should it actually cause concern? Well, it should, it's kind of like levels of, of microcystin in the air. Uh, it should cause some concern. The idea is we do need to know a lot, a lot more about what it does. Um, and by the way, the, this study wasn't looking just at microcystin, which is the toxin that they were looking at in the fish. It also was looking at BMAA, mm -hmm. and it found both. So one of the scientists over there, Mike Parsons, told me at one point, you know, there's a ton of different kind of toxins that are in blue-green algae, and we just don't know very much about any of them, and we need to know a lot more about them, especially if we're going to keep getting blooms like we have been in the last few years. Okay. So should either of these studies really alter anybody's daily, weekly, monthly activities in terms of how much they go walk along the boardwalks and go by the water or go fishing or paddleboarding or spend any kind of time outside? Well, certainly not now when we don't have algae blooms, but I would think if we did have algae blooms again in the St. Lucie River or in the lagoon, especially people who have respiratory problems or have immune deficiencies, they should avoid being around it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you if you live in Stewart, you can't be miles away from it because, yeah. you know, it kind of has this crescent that goes pretty much all around us. But I wouldn't say that, you know, like obviously right now I go paddleboarding in the in the lagoon pretty much every weekend. I don't feel the need to, to stop that. But if again, if we get the blooms back, yeah, we need to be a lot, we'll have to be a lot more cautious about how much, what kind of activity. We always knew, don't touch it. You know, you, you get the signs posted to say, don't, you know, there's blue-green algae in the water, don't touch it. Well, now we know, don't breathe it either. Okay. I'm just kind of taking away from both of these, just to be aware of your level of exposure to the water, to the fish in the water. Yeah. Okay. It's all about levels. It's all, you know, um, low levels versus high levels. Low levels, you can't really get away from. High levels, you can't. All right. So I'm sure you'll be keeping us up to date on everything that's going on water-wise, whether we have new studies that come out or the Army Corps of Engineers has any more updates about our discharges, and you will be updating that daily discharge meter. Every day. So Except we, on weekends. No, but you catch up on Mondays. <laughs> I catch up on Mondays. On Mondays, yeah, you yeah, catch yeah. up. You do Saturday, Sunday, Monday, yeah, so we every, know what's going on. Every day is accounted for. Yes. This takes me a couple of days to get over the weekend. Well, I will be linking to all those stories so everybody can read up on Tyler's latest findings and catch up with that lovely discharge meter. So, Tyler, thanks for coming in and giving us an update. Thanks for having me, Hannah. This is TC Palmcast. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm the executive producer, Daisha Johnson. This podcast is also produced by Hannah Schwab and Karen Schaefer. The editor is Tim Thorson. Interviews and reporting is done by TC Palm staff. You can email us at tcpalmcast at tcpalm.com.